Hey, Beacon family, this is Deacon Arthur. You are tuning in to Denver Beacon Sermon Podcast. A note for the listeners, this week's audio quality has experienced some interference. We do truly thank you for your understanding. And I just want to remind you to be the light, Denver. Thank you for tuning in. The entire point of this parable, of this story, is to pose a question to us. And that question is... Which kind of soil of these four are you? Which kind of soil is to be found in your heart? Can I be honest with you? This story scares me to death. <laughs> it does. Now, last week we talked about the Christian's worst fear. Well, this is certainly mine. That I would begin well and finish poorly. Now, part of that is because I know what it is to be on fire for God in one season and then in the next wonder, am I, am I even a Christian? <laughs> and sincerely, I mean that. I mean, I've had entire seasons where I've looked up to heaven and said, Father, I am, I am yours, right? <laughs> Help me out here. We all hope that the good kind of soil will be found in our hearts, don't we? But even if it is, even if it is, how can we be sure that it will remain that way? Or worse still, what if we find that the environment of our heart is hostile to God's Word, choking it out or crushing it because we still love the world too much or fear men more than God? How do we see to it that our heart remains fertile ground for God's Word to continue to find good soil and bear fruit in Well, this is the burden of the Apostle Peter when he wrote this letter to his own congregation and the first thing he says to his people. Y'all ready for this? The first thing he says is no excuses. <laughs> no excuses. Now I, I realize on the surface that doesn't sound very encouraging, okay? So bear with me, I promise you. It's good news. He says, indeed, we are without excuse when it comes to being spiritually productive in this life, which, by the way, is God's will for us after we believe. We are without excuse in this because God has already provided for it. He says in verses 3 through 4 that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his very precious and great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. In other words, for those who've believed in the good news of Jesus, God has already provided all that we need to till the soil of our hearts, to bear fruit for Him by living a godly life. Hear me now. Everything. Everything. As you and I are here right now, as we are right now, we lack nothing. Nothing that we need to live a kind of life God by becoming more like His Son, Jesus. You know what? I love that this is where Peter begins, because you and I, when we hear something like this, we're inclined to go right to our own sense of inadequacy. And there's a good part to that, right? Because we are inadequate. But God's Word places our focus right where it truly belongs. Instead of beginning with our inadequacy, it points our attention first and foremost to God's sufficiency. 
Peter says that it is God's divine power, not our own strength, that is the source of our ability to live that kind of life that glorifies Him. And this is available to us through our knowledge of Him who has called us, that is, Jesus. Amen? You may think that you found God, or that you discovered the faith, but in reality, in reality, you could never have even believed if He didn't first call you. That's the truth. Now, in case that's hard for you to accept, I want you to consider for a moment that this is how all relationships begin, isn't it? With one person's initiative, with one person's pursuit of another. My wife, Bree, she knows me the way that she does because I took the initiative in pursuing a relationship with her and making that available to her. <laughs> making that available to her. Now, I did so because of how beautiful, kind, and intelligent she is. Amen. But it's different when it comes to us and God. You see, God doesn't call us because of how cute we might be. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to break your heart. <laughs> but instead of how, because of how good, merciful, and gracious He is. And this ought to be a huge relief to us. Really. Because it anchors the relationship. It grounds the relationship in the one thing in all the world that is actually steadfast, immovable permanent, unchanging, namely Him, right? I mean, you and I, we change week to week, day to day, hour to hour. I'm a different Myers-Briggs every time I take the personality test, right? <laughs> but God, oh, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's right. Not only, yeah, give it up for the Lord. Not only has He taken the initiative in calling us, happening of our lives. Every single one. And if that's not enough, more than that, He has made us partakers of His very nature by virtue of our union with Him, made possible by the indwelling Holy Spirit that He has placed in each one of us who believe. It is through Him, through the Holy Spirit, that we escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. As Paul tells us in Galatians 5, the desires of the Spirit contrary to the desires of our sin nature and so these two things are opposed to each other inside of us to keep us from doing that which we want to do in our flesh and that's good news i don't know about you all but it feels straight up like there is a war going on inside of me sometimes for real i used to get discouraged by that because i felt like it shouldn't be such a struggle but now i'm actually encouraged by it because i realize when i feel that it's the holy spirit going to that right and he is for you too in the letter of first john if we study the passage from last week the apostle john informs us reveals to us that it is actually impossible for one in whom god has placed his spirit to continue on indefinitely in sin without conviction without repentance it is impossible for one whom in whom god has placed his spirit to end their lives in rebellion against him that's good news, right? But here's the thing. Even though it's promised, it doesn't mean there's no part for us to play. In fact, our participation is very much required. Because God has made himself known to us, Peter says that we too are called to know him. To know him in response. 
For this very reason, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. The reason why God doesn't take us up to heaven the moment we first believe is because, as Jesus said, as the Father sent him into this world, so he has sent us that we may bear much fruit. It's, it's not about heaven we die as much as it is showing this world a different way of being the Jesus way the Jesus way now I don't want you to, to hear that and think even for one moment <laughs> that you are failing if you're not doing perfectly everything as Jesus would right now because Peter makes it clear that our participation in the divine nature our escape from the corruption is a process. It's a process, and it's the process of a lifetime. But he also makes clear, as we've already said, that it is a process that very much requires our continued engagement. Can we be real for a minute, though? I mean, can we? Don't you kind of hate that it's a process? I do. I do. Can I say that? I mean, there's there's a lot of days, y'all, I wrestle with God on this one. I'm like, Lord, why is it got to be so hard? Come on now, wouldn't it just glorify you all the more to like zap me holy? Like, like there it is, everybody. <laughs> Look at that boy go. One can wish, right? But his answer to me is always the same. And it's so full of wisdom. The, the impression of my spirit is something to the effect of Robert. If it wasn't a process this side of eternity, you would forget all about me. <laughs> You would. You would forget your need for me. and You would fail to depend on me. You wouldn't get to know me as you should. So it is good. This is a process. And a process, it is. It's a process that is enabled and defined by knowledge. We know Jesus because he called us. But we continue getting to know him. Check this out. We continue getting to know him by acting. It's action, responding to God's initiative, action that keeps us from becoming ineffective, unfruitful, spiritually unproductive in our lives. You know, I'm convinced that the seeds in the parable of the sower choked out by the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of which is crushed by adversity, peer pressure, persecution, became vulnerable to such things because those people became stagnant in their faith. They stopped interacting with Jesus in a real relationship. They stopped walking in His instruction. And thus they stopped the flow of living waters that nurture our spiritual growth. You see, knowledge of God that doesn't lead to action is dangerous. It's dangerous because action is the thing that gets it into our bodies, into our character, and out of our heads, where if it remains, we will become nothing but puffed up in pride, thinking that we know more than we really do. 
It's action that gets it out of our head and into our body, in tune, in line with reality, <laughs> with humility. <laughs> Think about anything new that you learn, a new skill, a hobby, a talent, a language, whatever it may be. You know, I could listen to my friends speak the most beautiful, fluent Spanish all day long. I might even come to understand some of what they're saying. But unless I start to practice it myself, however awkward that may be in the beginning, I'll never be able to dialogue with I? I could watch Monday Night Football every single day. It wouldn't be Monday night, I guess, if I did that, but you get what I'm saying, right? I could, I could watch so much football that I could become an expert. I could become an analyst and work for ESPN and talk to you all about it. But unless I get out there and do it, I will never be able to play the game, much less like they do, right? So... Peter instructs us to build upon our faith by acting. To add, first of all, virtue. Virtue. Now I have to pause here for a second because I know virtue is uh, its one of those weird words. That, like We think we know what it means, but if somebody were to ask us to define it, we wouldn't really know what to say, would we? Right? But in the original language, virtue means goodness, moral excellence of character, the fruit of to this, Peter says that we are to add knowledge. Knowledge, which is ongoing, interactive relationship with Jesus. And in fact, these two things feed each other synergistically. Because as we engage in relationship with Jesus through the spiritual disciplines, as we get to know Him by interacting with Him, virtue becomes a natural byproduct of that transformative relationship. And then the more we walk in virtue, the more we walk in His ways, the more we get to know Him and the reality of His kingdom by experience. This is knowledge. The knowledge, Peter says, adds self-control. Self-control, which is to see all of your desires be brought underneath the governance of the Holy Spirit, instead of letting those same desires govern over you. To self-control, steadfastness, which is perseverance, consistency, endurance in the faith. To steadfastness, godliness, godliness relating to both God and man. As Jesus said, the entire law is summed up in this, that we should love God, call our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, which is why the next transition is to brotherly affection, which is to treat every member of the church, every member of the body of Christ as a member of our own body, a member of our own family, right? And lastly, but not least, love. Love, which is the end of it all, which binds together all things in harmony, which we learned last week has far less to do with feeling and far more to do with action. It's a commitment to the good of another with our deeds above all. Now, to partake in the divine nature is to share some characteristic, some character quality of God. And ultimately, that's what this chain of virtues represents the character of Christ. And it's built in such a way such that each of these qualities builds upon the last, builds upon the way the one that came before it. The, the essence of the original language is something of a spending or investment metaphor. Spend your faith to get virtue. And spend your virtue on more knowledge. Invest your knowledge to gain self-control. And go all in with self-control that you may become steadfast 
which will ultimately result in godliness, from which derives brotherly affection and love. What Peter is saying here is that if we don't let knowledge lead to action, if we don't respond to God's initiative in our lives by getting this into our bodies, into our character, by the power of the Holy Spirit, then nothing, not even any amount of Bible reading, will ever help us. In fact, reading the scriptures, knowing the scriptures without acting on them only leads to self-deception. Reading the Bible without acting on it, without letting it take us from the page into a real life relationship with Jesus, will actually leave us in a worse state than if we had never read it before. Because hear this, it will give us just enough of the truth, just enough of the gospel to inoculate us through its power, to immunize us to it and ensure that it might never change us or transform us. But here's the thing, this is the catch. Reading the Bible is absolutely essential. <laughs> it's absolutely essential. For it is our only source of authoritative revelation about God, about salvation, about how to walk with Him and relate to Him. It's necessary to have the right information about God in order to have a relationship with God, isn't it? It just can't end there. For we can't act when we do not know. You know, if um, instead of meeting Bree, somehow in this hypothetical imaginary illustration I've come up with, her parents were able to give me a document with all of the pertinent information about her, all of the facts. You know, I could have read that and been able to tell you a whole lot about her, maybe even a funny story or two, like some of the biographies that I've read. But I would never know. I would never know what it is to be softened by her friendship, encouraged by her empathy, challenged by her wisdom, transformed by her mercy. And yet, some information about her would be essential, necessary in order to find her, right? But only if I took what I read and let it motivate me to, to go after that. Oh, i got to meet that girl. Would such a relationship ever form and have such an impact on my life? So it is with us and God. This is why Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, the religious leaders in his day, saying, you search the scriptures because you think that it's in them that you have life. But it's they that point to me. That's the whole point of this. It's Jesus. It's designed to point us to him, yet he said to them, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Life. The life that Jesus offers us. It's not an insurance policy like death. It's, it's far less, in fact, about going to heaven when we die. It's so far more about showing heaven to this world right here, right now. You know, we may be tempted to think that such character development, such growth and transformation is optional for the Christian icing on the proverbial cake in the Christian life. But Peter says, do not be deceived. Make no mistake about it. This isn't optional. This is mandatory. 
Verse 9 tells us that any Christian who lacks such qualities as these is lost, blind. They've forgotten where they come from. They've become so focused on the present moment, on living for today, that they've forgotten all that God has done for them and thus what is required of them in this life. More than that, they've forgotten what's to come as well. That is, the book of Hebrews tells us it is appointed for man to die once. And then comes judgment. Scripture reveals to us that each of us will stand before the throne of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and give an account of our lives when we die. Paul informs us in his writings that the Lord will judge us according to not our thoughts, not our words, not our intentions, but our actions. That's right, Pastor Ty. That which proceeded from faith in Christ, that which is built upon him, will remain as tribute to him forever. While everything else, everything else, will be burned up. Will be burned up. The text is clear. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Some of us will enter heaven with our coattails smoking. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be that way. That's why Peter admonishes us so strongly here. He admonishes his own flock, which he cares more about than his own life, so strongly to be all the more diligent, to confirm their calling and election, to be all the more diligent, to confirm your calling an election. He reassures them that if they practice these qualities, they will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you live your life like Peter is encouraging you to here, you will never be ineffective. You will never be unfruitful. You will never be spiritually unproductive in this life. And you will never need worried about the account that you will give to the king in the end. Notice, though, that the call is to be diligent, which is to strive with great effort. With great effort. Yes, it's the original language such that we make putting on the character of Christ our highest priority in this life. It's a lot like the marriage relationship, really. You know, when I was a newly married man, I made the same mistake that many new husbands do. You know, I kind of thought that the wedding was the finish line. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. I found out, I realized pretty quickly that the marriage isn't the, the wedding, rather, isn't the, the starting line. The finish line, it's the starting line. It's the starting line. Building a relationship with Bree is a lifelong pursuit. Lifelong pursuit. One that takes great effort, a lot of work. But you know what? It's it's an adventure. It's an adventure. Because I'm continually learning new things about her, even after all these years. And I'm constantly being challenged by her to become a better man. How much more, how much more of an adventure it is to get to know the living God who created me, called me by name before I breathed my very first 
who's redeemed me, saved me, and has a purpose and a plan for my life. Here's the thing, though. This is what grieves me when it comes to my relationship with her. To be honest with you, my relationship with Bree, my pursuit of her comes comes pretty naturally. It's pretty easy, you know, even though it is effort. Uh, because I like her. You know, we have fun together. <laughs> you know? That's how it is. But it's not always that way. Can I say that? Sometimes my response to God <laughs> in our relationship reminds me of when we first became a family of six. Right after our fourth child, Ruby, was born, I was so exhausted, I invented a game to play with my kids called Injured Sloth. Injured Sloth, yes. It is exactly what it sounds like. The game consisted of, of Dad lying on the couch while the kids tended to his wounds. I know, it's embarrassing. It's sad. But really, it does, it does make me sad. <laughs> when I'm done laughing, it will. You're welcome to. I'm so glad you guys like that. <laughs> oh, oh, it's been a while since I've talked about that. Oh, but in reality, it does. In all seriousness, it makes me sad. Because it shows me that at times I love other people and things more than I do him. That's not good. Oh, that's not fair. So I have to ask you too. What is it that gets your greatest effort in life? What is it that you are most passionate about? What is it that you are striving after? What is it that is your highest priority? like to offer you two ways to tell. Firstly, what does your checking account have to say? I know, that's, that's a tough one. Jesus said, where our treasure is, there will our heart be also, right? And by treasure, of course, he needs our money. You know, I don't think any of us are pirates here, right? Treasure. <laughs> where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. So our checking will really tell us a whole lot about our true priorities in this life. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm really not talking about where the bulk of your money goes or amounts of any kind, necessarily. You know, God knows we live in one of the most expensive cities in all the world, don't we? I mean, rents and mortgages here are no joke. And I'll tell you what, if gas prices don't change soon, I'm going to have to start packing these kids on one of those electric scooters here, you know? It's not going well. It's less a matter of, of the amounts and more a matter of priority. Priority. Our God and His kingdom first in your heart and mind when you get paid. Something to consider. Secondly, ask yourself, what in your life, if it was to go away today, would make it hard for you to find the Because if it's anything other than the Lord himself, we've got some rearrangement to do. Because Peter's clear. Peter says that the only way this works is if it is our primary aim in life. The main thing. 
the effort to which every other effort comes second. Far too many of us have our priorities out of whack. Looking for how God fits into our lives. Really, the question is how do we fit into His? To be a Christian is to know Jesus as the center of your world. The reason why you get out of bed in the morning, the one who gives meaning, purpose, and significance to every moment of your life, so that we can say along with Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Too many of us are investing our lives in the wrong things, wood, hay, and stubble, money, careers, cars, clothes, sports, hobbies, ambitions, what have you. Not that any of those things are bad in and of themselves. I love a good vacation, don't you? But they become bad when they become God. That's the whole thing. All the while, we ignore a treasure trove of gold, silver, and precious jewels. And through a life of spiritual discipline that God's divine power has already granted us with which to build on the eternal foundation of Jesus Christ. My friends, no matter how much you require, Life. No matter how famous you become, no matter how quote unquote successful you get, you will enter heaven, eternity, just as naked as the next man. You cannot take it with you. But hear me, you can take your character. You can take your character. Have you ever considered? And that's the whole point. That is the whole point. And one of my friends lamented to me recently that she, she didn't feel she had left her mark on this world. She's in a later stage of life, and her career ambitions didn't turn out as she'd imagined. She was discouraged. But you know what? i got to tell you something. As I've observed her over the last few years, I don't know anybody else who's grown more in their faith and more more fruit for Jesus through their own personal transformation than her. And so I encouraged her. Like, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe you haven't left your mark this Maybe you have. But can I can I speak it to your life? This world is passing. Does it even matter? One thing I can tell you for sure. You have left your mark. And that's that's right. That's forever. What could be greater than that? It's never too late. Nor is it too early. To really, truly put God first. To really, truly live for Him. So, no matter where you are in your journey, if you're here, you've yet to believe on the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Today is the day. Let today be the day that the adventure begins. Start with faith. Placing your faith in Him. But if you've already believed, it's time. It's time to add to that faith virtue. It's virtue, knowledge. It's knowledge.
self-control, steadfastness, steadfastness, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly affection. To brotherly affection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. The way that it challenges us, the way that it sharpens us, the way that it rebukes, <laughs> corrects, and encourages us. God, I don't know where I would be without your word. And I know I'm not alone in saying that. I'm so grateful even for your discipline, for your word says that you discipline those who you love. Because we're to carry on your name, adopted children for all eternity. So God, we're here. We're here for that <laughs> this morning. We're here because we, we want to cooperate with you in that. We want all that you have for us in this life. We want to bear fruit for you, God, a hundredfold. We want the soil of our hearts, the soil of our lives, to truly be rich, fertile ground for your word to go in, to take deep root, and to bear fruit upon fruit upon fruit. God, we recognize that we're not fully there yet process. So we're here just as much because you are worthy as we are because we are needed. We need your grace right now if we're to carry on faith, to keep fighting the good fight that you've called us to fight. It's not easy but we need you so desperately in every way. And I know God, I'm very confident that you stand ready, willing and able to meet every single need in this room right now. Spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, physically. So Lord, we just invite you to have your way in these closing moments of worship. As we open our hearts to you, as we open our minds to you, please have your way. Jesus. If you can just stand to your feet after.